It's a joy to be here together to worship King Jesus. So let me just say good afternoon once again to CHCC family and friends. I pray you've all had a wonderful week and uh, are excited to be here to, to worship King Jesus. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. That's where we're going to be. So Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. As we're going to continue in our sermon series through the book of Ephesians. We're almost there, y'all. Almost close to a year later. Uh, finishing up the book of Ephesians. Amen. Amen. So Ephesians 6. And if you're, if you're new to the Bible, feel free to use the table of contents there to, to find where we are. And as you turn there, let me just, um, let me just say this. And, and, you know, I said this at... One of our previous sermons, as we came across another passage, kind of similar, not similar, but, but kind of in the similar vein, and where I'm getting at is that this is a hard passage. This is a hard passage, and you'll see in just a second why I'm saying that. Uh, and when we come to hard passages in the Bible, like we talked about previously, like this and, and, and like others, we must remember that this is in God's Word, Right? Uh, and it's there for us to learn its meaning, uh, to study it, to obey what, what God is telling us, and then to apply it to our lives, right? And the other thing that I would mention, and because it's God's word, when we come across hard passages like this and, and others, and these hard passages may cause us to react in a negative way, uh, we have to remember, and I think this is most important, well, both are important, uh, that this is important, that we have to remember the character of the person who the word is coming from, that being God. So when we come, I'll say it again, when we come to hard passages in the Bible, we have to be reminded of the character of God, who he is, and what he has done in light of this passage, remembering that it's his word, remembering his character, and that he is good and he does good always, right? So with that, let me ask God for his help again, and then we'll, we'll chop it up, we'll dig in. Let's pray. Father, thank you once again for this afternoon. Thank you for, um, yeah, this time to worship you. God, I pray that uh, we would continue doing just that, Lord, as, as uh, the preached word, um, as we seek to, to hear from you. God, I pray that Everyone under the sound of my voice would hear you, not me. That they would hear you from your word. I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase. I pray, God, that your word will do the work by your spirit in the hearts of all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Ephesians 6, starting at verse 5, it says... Bond servants, and some translations may say slaves, but bond servants obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing, excuse me, knowing that whatever good anyone does, 
This he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Amen? This is God's word. This is God's word. So if, if, if I were to summarize this passage, I may summarize it something like this, right? So here's the, the main idea, I believe, here. This is how I would summarize it. The gospel calls us to serve one master, Jesus, and to please him and submit to him in all things. All right, we'll see that in just a moment as we'll tease that out. But here's the, the main idea. The gospel calls us as Christians, as people, to serve one master. Jesus, and to please him and submit to him in all things. So three points and some applications at the end to help guide our time together in the text. So point one, and let me just say this, what we're going to do in just a few moments is that we're going to spend some time kind of overarching, kind of talking about uh, these particular things, and then at the end, We'll, we're going to dive back into this passage, and we'll have some applications, all right, based on these verses here in Ephesians 6, all right? So we're going to kind of spend some time up here a little bit, kind of, you know, diving into some different discussions here, and then we'll, we'll spend some applications on the back end, all right? So point one, what is slavery? What is slavery? We're going to look at slavery in the Bible, and we're going to also think about American slavery. And let me just say this off gate. Hear me lean in. Both were evil. Both were sin saturated and just plain out wicked. We'll see some differences between the two. But at the end of the day, both, whether we think about slavery in the Bible, think about American slavery, both weren't pleasing to God. All right? So we're going to look at that. Point number two. So that's point one, what is slavery? Point number two, why we oppose slavery. Why we, as a church, as Christians, oppose slavery and racism, systemic racism and discrimination, all these different things. We'll look at that. And then point number three, how the gospel relates to slavery. How the gospel relates to slavery. And we'll have a couple of subpoints underneath that. We'll talk about what is the gospel Two, we'll talk about how the gospel frees us. And three, we'll talk about how the gospel makes us a family. And then we'll spend some time talking through applications at the end, looking at work and serving. All right? So here's where we're headed. Point number one. What is slavery? What is slavery? So slavery in the Bible. So yes, so just just to throw it out there, and I know a lot of us already know this, but... Slavery is in the Bible. It's in the Bible. We, we, we see slavery in the Bible. So what is slavery? Well, one definition puts it here. It's a condition in which one human being was owned by another. A slave was considered by law as property or chattel and was deprived of most of the rights ordinarily held by free persons. And I know some cults, right, that we might run into or some false religions try to use this and many other things to dispel the truth of the Bible, 
right? They try to use this to dispel the truth of the Bible. They uh, use this, among many other things, to, to say that Christianity is the slave master's religion, right? Or that it's the white man's religion, right? Uh, they, they, they ask questions like, how can you serve the Christian God when slavery is in the Bible? When there's slavery in the Bible, how can you serve the Christian God? Well, I think a couple of answers that I would provide to that, and maybe you might even provide to that, would be, one, slavery is in the Bible post-fall. Slavery is in the Bible post-fall, right? And so God created the heavens and the earth. He created the first man and woman and every human being since in his image, after his likeness. But what he had told Adam in the beginning, prior to the fall, God told Adam to work and keep the garden, right? He created Adam to work, to work. He tells him to work it and keep it. And I love what Dr. Tony Evans says here. He says, work then came before the fall, but when Adam sinned, work, like a lot of things, became corrupted, right? He says, one corruption of work is slavery. One corruption of work is slavery. So, one, one answer in, in that regards, and also to add to that, slavery was not what God intended. Right? This is, this is post-fall. This is, this is now sin is in the world. Slavery is sin. Right? Number two, slavery in the Bible, although once again something God didn't intend, is different from American slavery that our ancestors experienced, right? Gonna, not to say it was better or good, both still, once again, wicked, evil, sinful, not what God intended, but there were some differences, right? Love what Dr. Tony Marita says here. It's helpful. He says, American slavery, slavery was primarily racial and lifelong. In Paul's day, it was not racial, and it was not always lifelong, Right? There were some similarities, but it was different. He, again, quoting Dr. Marita, helps us here with a resource that he quotes from in his book. He says, they did not merely do menial work, right? They did nearly all the work, including oversight and management and most professions. Some slaves were more educated than their owners. They could own property, even slaves, and were allowed to save money to buy freedom. No slave class existed, for slaves were present in all but the highest of economic and social strata. Many gained freedom by age 30. Right? So we even hear some differences here there, right? Still not good. Still not what God intended. But, but even some, some, some differences there um, as it relates to American slavery. So let's think about American slavery, slavery for a bit. Um, Christian hip-hop artist, some of you all know this brother, Show Baraka, uh, dropped an album a few years back called The Narrative. Right? Anybody check out that, that album, The Narrative? Yep, I did. Loved it. It's a really good album. If you haven't peeped it, I encourage you to. Uh, it was a great album speaking to our black history and, you know, as a people, one of the lyrics 
that still hits me to this day that he uh, spit on the track, that he, that he mentioned on the track. He says, and why, and why black history always starts with slavery, right? So he says, and why does black history always start with slavery? I mean, just think about this for a second. Growing up in schools and we have some, some you know, uh, kids still in school now, teenagers still in school now, and this, and the third. I remember when I was growing up in school, when, when it, you know, came, you know, February, Black History Month, we always started talking about slavery. As if that was where our history <laughs> began, right? So I know it's Black History Month, and I just want to share this in case none of us know. I believe we do. Our history as a people doesn't start with slavery. It doesn't start with slavery. Our history starts in Genesis 1, 26 to 27, where we as black people, black and brown people, were created with dignity, with worth and purpose, just like our white brothers and sisters and, and everyone on the face of the earth. Amen? Amen? That's where our history starts. In the Imago Dei, where God created us in his image after his likeness. Now let me say this. I do believe it's important, though, for us to know this part of our history. So I'm not saying that. I'm not downplaying that. I, I think it's very important for us to know this part of our history, but it, it didn't start there. It didn't start there. What happened to our people is a story of tragedy to triumph. A story of tragedy, much tragedy, much pain, and triumph. Once again, slavery in the Bible and American slavery had some similarities but major differences, and both were evil, sin-saturated, and just plain out wicked. Beginning in 1619, our ancestors were snatched up, were kidnapped against their own will, and put in hard labor. They were mistreated, they were looked down upon, not considered or treated as human beings, Right? They were considered three-fifths of a person, not even fully human. That's how we were viewed. Women done horrible and unimaginable things to and with. They were killed. And the list can go on and on and on. And then we get to President Lincoln's time where he issues the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863. But sadly, the song of freedom took two and a half years to reach enslaved brothers and sisters in Galveston, Texas in 1865. This day became known as Juneteenth, so June 19th, where our people honor the end of slavery. And then the 13th Amendment, which was a, a law that officially freed enslaved people in America, also became official in 1865. But history still shows that the effects of slavery, the reality of slavery, still lingered. It still lingered. With years later, we would have the rise of the Ku Klux Klan, systemic racism, and Jim Crow, 
Jim Crow being laws that legalized racial segregation, right? And then this led to the Civil Rights Movement, led by Dr. Martin Luther King and, and others, including white brothers and sisters who fought alongside, alongside uh, MLK and others who fought for our freedom and equal rights. And by God's grace, we won through their fighting on our behalf. But we still have a long way to go. We still have a long way to go. We may not be enslaved people anymore, or we may have equal rights, et cetera, et cetera. But in 2022, as a people, we're still dealing with the effects of systemic racism and discrimination and the likes. And as a people of God, as Christians, we oppose this. We oppose slavery. We oppose systemic racism and discrimination of any kind of image bearers. Amen? Amen. So we, we oppose this. So why, why do we oppose slavery and the likes? Why do we do that? Point number two. This is point number two. We oppose slavery because God does. We oppose slavery because God does. And in his word, we see that he opposes it. We see this all throughout scripture. God isn't silent on the issue, although some may think he is, or maybe you even thought he was. He's not silent on this issue. A few examples, and I've already been alluding to this one already. But, but a few examples, one being Genesis 1, 26 to 27, right, where it reads, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So slavery and racism, systemic racism and discrimination of any kind is an onslaught on God's character. On God's character and those whom he created in his image, after his likeness. So when we think about slavery, when we think about systemic racism, when we think about racism, when we think about discrimination, it's an attack on God's character and the very people in this room and outside of this room that were created in his image after his likeness. Another example, we see God rescuing the children of Israel from the grip of the evil Pharaoh, right? Book of Exodus, I encourage you to check it out. We see God rescuing the people from the grip, from the from from being enslaved. Another example, the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the New Testament tried to double-team Jesus in Matthew 22, right? They tried to, they tried to, they tried to sneak up on him and, and, and double-team him, thought they had him. Here's what it reads in chapter 22 of Matthew, verse 34. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, 
a lawyer asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus summarizes the law in love God, love neighbor. Slavery, systemic racism, discrimination, etc., etc., goes against what Jesus says is the great commandment. Love God, love neighbor. You can't love God and own slaves. You can't be a racist and love your neighbor who is a different race than you. They wouldn't be loving to take someone and own them, would it? Nah. That's not loving. That's hateful and wicked and sinful. Which leads to, and we've already been seeing this, slavery is sinful. It's sinful. And sin of any kind opposes God and his ways. Right? So, so not just the sin of slavery or racism, but all sin. Lying. Committing adultery. Any other sin you would put in that uh, line opposes God and his ways. And sin leads to death. But Jesus died for all sin, including racism. Including slave owners. Including those who discriminate. Jesus died for all sin and sinners alike and offers eternal life to all who would repent. All who would turn away from all of those sins and then turn to him by faith. Amen? Amen. So here at CHCC... We oppose slavery, we oppose systemic racism, we oppose discrimination of any kind, and I believe every Christian and every church should, because our God does. So we serve the Christian God, and God opposes slavery, he opposes all sin, and we too as Christians, we too as churches, should oppose it as well. We should oppose it as well. Which leads to point number three, how the gospel relates to slavery. How the gospel relates to slavery. So, the question is, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Well, the gospel is the good news about God, about Jesus, right? So, it starts with, we've, we've, we've delved in, into this some, it starts with God creating everything. Everything. And even you and me, in his image, after his likeness, right? And after he created, he said, man, as he created us, he said, very good. Very good. Things were perfect. So, before sin, man had perfect shalom with God. Peace. God and man cooling it, chilling, kicking it. The serpent comes, he deceives Adam and Eve to partake of 
fruit that God had forbidden. So God gives Adam a direct word, a direct command. They disobey. And because of their disobedience, they wrecked it for all of us. They wrecked it for themselves. So, so now the cooling and the chilling that God and man had, that was broken. That was broken. That fellowship was, was, was broken. And not only between God and man, but the fellowship was broken between man and woman, and man and man, and woman and woman. That fellowship was, was broken as well. And, and not just only that fellowship, but everything was broken. Everything. Sin had circulated, had touched everything. But God had a plan. He had a plan. He had a rescue plan as early as Genesis 3.15 where he says, I'm promising a seed that will come, right? He will crush the serpent's head. And that seed being the Lord Jesus, he comes and he lives a perfect sinless life and he dies a death on the cross that you and I deserve for our sin because Jesus had no sin for which he had to die for. But he goes to the cross willingly and willfully, bearing all of our sin. He dies. He's buried in the grave. But praise God, on the third day, he was raised from the dead with all power and majesty and beauty and glory, offering life, eternal life for all, for all who would turn away from sin and turn to him by faith. And that family is the good news of the gospel. That that relationship that was once broken between God and man can now be restored between God and man because of Jesus. That relationship that was broken between man and man and woman and woman and man and woman can now be restored because of Jesus. Jesus brings the restoration that we all need. So he does that, and I want to emphasize that only through this message can we be saved. Only through what the Lord Jesus has done on our behalf can we be saved, can we be forgiven, can we be freed. And so I want to, I want to hang our hats on Jesus this afternoon. If you have not trusted in Jesus for salvation, turn away from your sin and turn to him by faith. Believe upon him. You can't save yourself. I couldn't save myself. None of us could. We needed a savior who could come and save us. And he has and he offers it. So trust him by faith this afternoon. So that's the, that's the good news. And, and let me say this. So Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. So may we hope in heaven. May we have hope in heaven this afternoon that all of the sin-saturated things that we see right now, all of the brokenness that is still prevalent in our culture or in our world or even in our own lives and in our families, Jesus is coming back. He's making all things new. He's going to wipe away every tear. There will be no more sin. There will be no more pain. So we are 
We are headed in that direction. And we long for that. So, so may we, yeah, may we be reminded of that this afternoon. And may we hold firm to that this afternoon. And have hope in heaven. Jesus is coming back for his people. Amen? He's coming back for us. He's coming back for his bride, the church. May we find happiness in that, joy in that. Number two, the gospel frees us. So what is the gospel? The gospel saves us. Jesus saves us. The gospel frees us. The gospel frees us. So we'll look at a couple of passages here. So the gospel frees you and me from the captivity of sin and Satan and the world. We saw this in Ephesians 2 almost a year ago now when we studied it. Uh, but think with me in Romans 6.22 where it says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's in eternal life. So, through the gospel, we've been set free from sin. Right? If you've trusted Christ by faith and have become slaves to God, you're no longer a slave to sin. No longer held captive by Satan. So God owns you and me. Not like how white slave owners did sinfully with our ancestors, but God is a gracious and loving master. He's a good master. Or how about Jesus in Luke 4, 18 through 19, quoting from Isaiah that our sister Nicole read, Uh, earlier in the service, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Right? This is Jesus who comes to set the captives free. He provides freedom for us. Last one. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So the gospel frees us. Do you see what Jesus has done for you and me? He won our freedom. He has won our freedom. Do you feel the weight of that this afternoon? That Jesus has won it for you. And that, I know this has been said a a, a thousand times, but it's a great way to view it. Like we, we aren't working for victory. We're working from victory. We're not working for freedom, we're working from freedom that Jesus has granted to us. This is good news. It's good news. He has broken the chains of sin that kept you bound, if you've trusted him by faith. He's opened the cell that Satan locked you in or had you locked in and can silence out and drown out the voice of temptation from the world that is trying to lure you back to the world. This is what the gospel has done. This is what Jesus has done for you and for me in freeing us. 
We are no longer bound if you are in Christ. And no longer being bound, meaning that you don't have to bear the guilt, the shame. Jesus has bore that for you. He's taken it all. You can be free. You can experience freedom. And reminded of even what First John tells us. So the reality is we're going to sin because we're sinners. Right? We're going to sin because we're sinners. But when we do sin, we're not encouraging sin. But when we do, and if we do, thanks be to God that we have an advocate that goes before the Father on our behalf, the Lord Jesus, who was the propitiation for our sins. And not just ours only, but for the world. Amen? He is the propitiation, the substitute, the atonement for our sins. And so praise God that Jesus offers freedom. Even when we do fall, we can still experience that freedom and that, uh, yeah, that we are no longer condemned, but that he has saved us and won our freedom. So if you're not a Christian here this afternoon, you don't have to stay in bondage. You can be free this afternoon. Turn from your sin. Turn to Christ. Don't delay. That's you. We'd love to talk to you after the service. See me, see any other, any other Christians here. We would love to, to, to journey with you and talk further about what does it mean for you to follow Jesus. Don't delay. Lastly, the gospel makes us a family. The gospel makes us a family. So what is the gospel? The gospel has freed us. The gospel makes us a family. The gospel makes us a family. So you think about uh, Ephesians 2, 12 through 22, right? And let's look back there just for a second. Just turn over to Ephesians 2, verse 12. Paul says here, he says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, so, children of Israel, like, so the, the people did not have the same access that the children here have, the people of God here has. These Gentiles were not included. They were not accepted. They did not have the benefits like the children of Israel. But what the Lord Jesus does here, and Paul says, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So what God has done is he has offered salvation through the Lord Jesus to Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles being non-Jews, which is all of us. He is he has taken two groups of people and people even in this day 
and made us one family. He's made us a family. And if you are not a Christian and you turn from your sin and turn to Jesus, you'll be joining in a big family this afternoon. A family of brothers and sisters all over the world and local. A local family that has a family reunion every week. Sunday gathering. What we're doing here, a family reunion every week. A family that meets during the week just to cool it or kick it with one another and talk Jesus. So it's a fellowship. Right? Or meet for Bible study. To, to look at God's word together and encourage one another through God's word and challenge one another through God's word. Or strive together to tell others about Jesus and help them grow in Christ. So evangelism and discipleship. So sharing Jesus and helping others follow Jesus. And then a family that cares for one another and helps one another, and who loves one another. That's who we are as the church. And that's who we are on a daily basis striving to be. It's one of our core values, gospel family mission. Be a family. We want every member at CHCC to know that they are family because we are. We are because Christ has made us a family. And this is so amazing that God has made us a family. So just to talk about this here, right? So slavery tore families apart. The Savior is the glue that puts us all together. The Savior is the glue that brings us all together and makes us a family. People of all different races and backgrounds and life experiences, and likes and dislikes, and ages, et cetera, et cetera. All of that. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. All right. So, let's end with some applications from this passage. Look back with me at Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. So we've, yeah, we've, we've talked about what is slavery. We talked about uh, how the gospel relates to slavery, right? So now let's look at some applications here. So how does this passage apply to you and me? I believe we can glean a lot of principles here and how we approach our work in serving, right? I believe there are some principles here that we can apply to our work in serving. Y'all with me? Amen, brother. Cool. Cool, cool. All right, so, so when we think about applying this so to work and serving, and I'm sure there are other ways we can apply this, right? But number one, God honoring obedience and service. So we'll see that in verses five through six. Number two, God motivated service and reward. We see that in verses seven through eight. And number three, God is our master. That's verse nine. That's right. God honoring obedience and service. God-motivated service and reward, and then God is our master. Number one, God-honoring obedience and service. I'll go through these quickly. Number f- so verse five, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service, 
as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So one way that you may could apply this passage, this, these few verses, is in relation to your supervisors, in relation to your, your bosses, right? That, that there is to be a reverence and a respect that you have for your supervisors and your bosses and a sincere heart like you would Jesus. Right, this is here, this is what Paul is getting at here when it when we're thinking about work and serving in that regards. But that there's a reverence, there's a respect, there's there's a sincerity in heart, like you would with Jesus, in relation to Jesus. So he says here, he says, Don't be a people pleaser. So don't seek to please people, right? As your ultimate aim, but instead please Christ ultimately. So please Christ ultimately because guess what? Your identity is found in him, right? And then you are to do the Father's will with a genuine and passionate heart. So, even, even though it's your supervisor, even though it's your boss, or even though whoever it might be, your aim is to ultimately please Christ. And as you please Christ, you will honor your supervisor. You will honor your bosses. You will honor X, Y, and Z. Number two, God-motivated service and reward. Verses seven through eight, it says, rendering service with a good, with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. So, work unto the Lord. So, this is, kind of, this is coming off the stem of this last few verses. Work unto the Lord, not man. You are to work unto him, not man. Seeing that as you are working, you are working in light of the audience of one. Audience of one. Now, you got people around you. You got your bosses. You got your coworkers. You got et cetera, et cetera. Or if you're serving in particular ways, you got other people that you're serving with. Or if you're in school even, right, as students, you got your teachers, right? You got, you got your classmates. Audience of one. Audience of one. And as you work unto the Lord, right, as you, as you work diligently and faithfully, even in a place where you don't really want to be right now. Even in a place where you might not really want to be. You may not really want to be there. But as a Christian, God still calls you to show up and to honor him. Even if it's for a little bit. And be a witness in the way that you work. In the way that you serve. In the way that you listen to your teachers and obey your teachers, showing even your classmates as teenagers how to model Christ. So audience of one, and as you work unto the Lord in all of these different arenas, you will receive your reward, namely him. Namely him, that God is our reward. 
So we receive him. We have him and we will receive him. We'll have him for all of eternity. Paul says it this way in Colossians 3, 23 through 24. He says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Serving the Lord Christ. So may that motivate us. So God motivated service and work and reward. May that motivate us in all of the ways that we work, in all of the ways that we serve here at church or outside of church or in other arenas, working, et cetera, et cetera. May it motivate us to know that we are working unto the Lord and that in all of these ways, we want to give it our best because we want to honor him ultimately. Yeah, we might want, you know, you might want that uh, promotion or you might want this, that, and the third, and you may get it by God's grace. But ultimately, that promotion doesn't make you or break you. Your identity isn't in that promotion or your identity isn't in whatever that might be. Your identity is found in the Lord Jesus. And as you seek to please him and work unto him, he is your reward and he will continue to provide for you. He has been. And if you do or don't get that promotion, trust the Lord. He will not fail you. He hasn't failed you yet. And he will never fail you. Amen. Number three. And lastly, God is our master. God is our master. Look at verse 9. It says, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Yeah, you may have a supervisor. You may have a boss. You may have a Someone, you know, like who, who, who's a lead, you know, in lead team member or whatever that might be. But God is the ultimate supervisor. God is your ultimate supervisor. And he sees and he knows what your earthly boss could never see or know. And then not only that, but he rules and he reigns. In a way that your earthly boss or team lead could never do. And this master is God. The sovereign God. The gracious God. The loving God. The creator of heaven and earth. Creator of you. And he is the savior of your soul. So when you clock in tomorrow, when I clock in tomorrow, whenever we clock in, work well in light of knowing that ultimately God is your supervisor. God is your master. And that he has given you an earthly master or boss, supervisor, team lead, who when you seek to please God, you in return honor and please your supervisor. So you seek to please God, as your ultimate aim in every avenue of where you work, and as you seek to please God, no matter if you get that compliment or no matter if you get that, whatever the case may be, knowing that you are still, as you are pleasing God, 
because you're working unto him, not unto man, you in return still honor your supervisor. In return, you still honor that boss, that team lead, those coworkers. And he set an example, a witness unto God. Amen? So may we all seek to do that this week. May we all be reminded and apply this in all the ways that I've mentioned here and all the ways that God sees fit. And may we work unto him. May we work unto him. Because ultimately, he is our master. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day once again. Thank you for this time to dig in your word. God, I pray um, that, yeah, your word, as I prayed before, would do the work. Let your word do the work, God, in all of our hearts, in all the ways you see fit. Ultimately, help us to leave here more satisfied in Christ, more happy in God. May we, as we either clock in tomorrow or whenever we do or, or in all the ways that we work and serve, may we work unto you, not unto people, knowing that, God, ultimately you are our master. You are our ultimate supervisor. And that our aim, ultimately, as Christians, as Christians, is to please you and to make much of you. And as we do, may it be a witness to our coworkers, to our family members, to our friends, to whomever, of a testament to, yeah, us seeking to work hard and serve hard, but please you in all of it. Give you our best in all of it. Help us in that, Lord, we pray. Help us even, Lord, as we think about uh, slavery, as we have thought about systemic racism and how, and even, you know, dis dis discrimination and all these different things. Help us, Lord, to um, be reminded as we have been and, and help us to be reminded even more um, of how you oppose all of that and how we as Christians must take a stand or continue to take a stand against these things in every way, shape, and form. Help us, Lord, to be bold. Help us to also be bold with the gospel. And help us, Lord, to be bold with living. Help us to, to live bold in all of the ways, Lord, that Navigate, Lord. Help us to live boldly before you. In Jesus' name, amen.